welcome everybody. I totally forgot to, uh, to pray for somebody um, during the announcements. I want to ask you guys to pray for the Martinos. Uh, John, uh, I think most of you might know who John is. Uh, he had a bad fall this morning um, outside on his uh, icy sidewalk. So uh, they went to the ER. And I think things uh, are okay for the most part. But um, yeah, apparently it was a pretty bad fall like on his face and um, so just pray for him um, man let's pray right now like what's stopping us let's let's pray again and pray for the Martinos father um, God I, I, I thank you for this opportunity to to pray for somebody um, pray for John and um, man they've been in the ER uh, a few times this past week for Megan um, and uh, with some heart issues and and now John, Lord, back in the ER, and I pray for both of them, Father, um, uh, just that, uh, um, that through these things that um, you would recognizably teach them, um, and that instead of asking, why is this happening, um, that they would ask, uh, what are you doing through this? Uh, what are you trying to teach me? And, um, man, uh, heal them uh, quickly and uh, minister to them. Uh, in this uncomfortable time uh, as they deal with these things. Father, and if there's anything that we can do as a congregation to come alongside them and uh, support them and minister to them, uh, I pray that you would make that clear to us. And uh, we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, this is uh, week five of our message series uh, called Intimacy Issues, and uh, it's about intimacy with God. Uh, that's our vision uh, for the church this year, and man, intimacy with God is not just something that, you know, should be a vision for just a year. That should be like a vision for our entire life, uh, is intimacy with God, is, is this relationship with God, and really, we, we want to grow in intimacy with God, and when we do that, when we grow in intimacy with God, it leads to growing intimacy in our relationships because uh, the two greatest commands uh, Jesus said are love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Those are the two greatest commands. Uh, man, we first have to, to even love our neighbor well and as we should. Uh, man, we got to know what it means to love God and know what his love for us means and really get intimacy right uh, with God before we can actually get it right with people in our lives. And man, week one, we saw that uh, we learned about what intimacy with God means and why it's important. And week two, uh, why it's difficult, uh, how it got broken, uh, why is intimacy so hard uh, with God, let alone our relationships um, and things like that. And Week three, uh, we learned about how intimacy with God returns in our life, how it returns, and then two ways how it grows, uh, how we grow in intimacy with God. And week four, last week, uh, we learned the order of intimacy, uh, the order of intimacy, and that, you know, we love because God first loved us. We got to get that right. We got to get it right that before we did anything in our lives, good or bad, God loved us. Uh, he loved us first, as the scripture said. And that changes everything. It changes our day when we start to understand that, man, he loved me first. 
um, that order changes everything. And uh, man, today is the last message uh, in this series. Uh, but man, we're going to be hitting on intimacy with God all year. I mean, so intimacy with God doesn't end today. Uh, we're just going to kind of start something new again next week. Um, particularly, uh, we're going to be preaching through uh, the Last Supper and the, and the Gospel of John as we lead up to Easter. Uh, lots of intimate things, incredible things that Jesus says uh, in the upper room during the Last Supper with his disciples. And we're going to learn a lot about intimacy with God starting uh, next week. But man, today, today is uh, this message is called the evidence of intimacy. It's called the evidence of intimacy. How do I know that I know God? How do I know that I love him? Man, answering this question is critical. It's critical. You know, is there fruit? Is, is there evidence that, that shows me and that proves to me that God is working and I have some kind of love generating in my heart for him? How do I know that I know him? How do I know this? True love and, and intimacy with another person uh, is, not, it's, it, it is not loving someone in the way that you want to love them. I'll say that again. Love and intimacy with somebody in your life is not loving them in the way that you want to love them. Love and intimacy is setting aside your wants, how you would prefer to love them, and loving them in the way that they want to be loved. Does that make sense? Loving them the way that they want to be loved, not the way that you want to love them. That's selfish how they want to be loved. In particular, it kind of reminds me of a mistake uh, that we can make when we buy someone a gift for Christmas. I'm pretty sure that we have all experienced this in this gift-giving time for Christmas. All of us at one time have bought a gift for someone that we thought that we like, right? We think that they'll like this gift, and the reason we thought they would like it is really because we like it. Oh, well, I like this gift. This is really cool. I think she'll like this, right? And more often than not, we fail. I think it fails, <laughs> right? More often than not, when we do that, consequently, you're probably uh, going to become a victim of uh, a re-gift, right? They're not going to like your gift, and they're just going to re-gift it to somebody else. Well, it's the same thing with God. Listen to me. It's the same thing with God. Intimacy with God and, and, and this concept of loving God and being loved by God, intimacy with God is not loving him the way that you want to love him. It's not loving him the way you want to love him, but the way that he wants to be loved by you. Man, he sets the tone. Man, he, he sets the guidelines here. There's a particular way that God wants to be related with. There's a way that he wants to be loved. There's a specific way, and it's for our good. It's for our good, that his ways, that God commands us to relate with him. And man, and the first one is faith. Right off the bat, that's the first one. That's the first one. It's faith. And then the second thing is what we're going to learn today. The second thing is that evidence. It's that evidence of intimacy. And that's what we're going to learn today. So we're going to actually go into 1 John again. We were in 1 John last week. And uh, we're going to go into the scriptures starting in uh, 1 John chapters 1. 
chapter 1, verses 5. We're going to start there. Today's scripture is actually 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Uh, but I really want to back up a little bit. I want to back up a little bit because, man, this scripture before that is really, really important. It's really, really important. And, man, I don't think we could have a proper understanding of 1 John 2, 3 through 6, which is the evidence of intimacy, without first understanding what came before that in chapter uh, 1, verses 5 through 2, 2. So let's get into that text. In the scripture, it says this. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, intimacy, fellowship is just like another, it can be another word for intimacy. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have intimacy with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So what we're seeing here really quick, I'm not going to get into this text too much, but what we're seeing here is really the condition for intimacy. It's the condition for in intimacy. This is how int int intimacy starts. Okay, it's faith. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus and, 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 his, and what he has done for us as the propitiation for our sins. Because the scripture continues there. It says, my little children, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's an advocate. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Man, so we're seeing here, this, this is the condition for intimacy. Now I want to get into the evidence of intimacy. I want to get into the evidence of intimacy now, now starting in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And that's really where we're going to hang out um, uh, in this scripture. And the scripture, it says this, leading up right to it. And by this we know... And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And in verse 3, I want to focus on verse 3 a little bit, where there's like these two different kinds of no's, right? It's interesting where he, and it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him. 
So that second no, I want to talk about really quick. It'll kind of review where we've been the past several weeks. That second no, John, he, he wrote uh, this letter to Christians to assure them of things. It's really a letter of assurance. It's a letter of assurance, uh, of assurances, assurance of salvation, assurance of God's working in their lives by looking at marks and evidences in their lives. So consequently, that phrase, by this we know, it's repeated over and over again in this book. It's a letter of evidences, of assurances. By this, we know that is often used in this letter. So it's used today as we see it. Man, and we have talked about what it means to know God. We have talked about what it means to know God. Not knowing information about him, but it's knowing him personally. It's knowing him personally. Man, I've talked about, you know, being home with my daughters and just being in the picture. It doesn't equate intimacy. Just being there. Just being in the room. It doesn't equate to intimacy. Intimacy is actually going a step further and interacting with my children. It's interacting with my children and talking to them and answering and asking questions and maybe daddy-daughter dates or something. Man, that's intimacy, right? To them, the info that I'm in the room doesn't impact them. It really doesn't do much for them. That doesn't impact them that I'm just in the room, but my interaction with them does, where they can experience me. They can experience me. You know, I, I said several weeks ago, a child that's abandoned by their father might say, you know, you are my father by title, but you were never my dad. Like, yes, I get it. You're my biological father, but you were never my dad. I didn't know you. I didn't know you. I didn't know who you were. You don't know who I am. You might have this title, but you don't know me. It's the same thing with God. It's interacting. It's vulnerability. It's wrestling and struggling with him and experiencing him. And to know God is not to know about him. Not knowing information about him, but to enter into his existence and participating in who he is. Participating in his being. Participating in his personality and his character and experiencing who he is. So that's that second no in verse 3. That's what that is. That's that second no. Now that first no, we're going to hang out here. That first no, where it says, by this we may know. By this we may know that we have come to know him. That's evidence language. That is evidence language. Intimacy, listen, is, is very subjective. Love is, is very subjective. It's difficult to quantify, right? Or, or to know, like, if you love God, to, to know these things. And, you know, we might, we might judge that in a relationship with somebody where, man, I don't really have any warm and fuzzy feelings for this person, <laughs> right? Man, we usually go to, you know, if I love somebody, I'll feel a certain way, right? I'll feel these warm and fuzzy feelings. Well, warm and fuzzy feelings of love fluctuate. Man, they're up and down. Man, you know, honestly, you know, lo love fluctuates. And I, Stephanie and I, we might have a bad day where, you know, I'm just not feeling the warm and fuzzies, right? It just might be a bad day. Some days are better, you know, than others for whatever reason. But that can't be it. That can't be it. How we feel, that those warm and fuzzies that we feel for somebody, it's the same thing with God. 
right? We can't go by feelings. That's not the evidence of whether that I know God and I love God. That's not the evidence. There has to be something else. You know, maybe it's saying it. You know, I love you. Well, that's not it either. Anybody can say what they want and not mean it. Anybody can say what they want and not mean it. John, he reiterates the words of Jesus in the upper room, which we're going to get into starting next week. He reiterates the words of Jesus that he personally heard in the upper room during the last summer. Jesus said this. He said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. To keep his commands, that's the evidence. Man, that is the evidence of intimacy with God, is keeping his commands. It's obedience. It's obedience. It's listening to him and obeying Jesus. That is the evidence of intimacy with God, is obeying him. You know, in marriage, giving gifts, giving gifts is definitely, you know, I'm not saying that that's not a way that you can express some kind of love for your spouse or or whatever, but giving gifts, uh, that's not it. That's not exclusive. You know, we can't just take intimacy with uh, our, our spouse and just be exclusive in that, okay, uh, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to give gifts, and that's going to express. Man, that's not enough, right? Giving gifts is not enough. It's not a mark of love or intimacy. Anybody can do that. Man, if you really want to know the mark, uh, what the mark is, man, do we listen to our spouse? Right? Do we listen to our spouse? When our spouse needs something or has a, a asks for something, are we listening? Man, and, and do we obey our spouse? Right? Or do I have a hard time, like, listening? Do I have a hard time listening uh, to my spouse if she has a need? Like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm really busy. Can you, like, empty the dishwasher for me, please? You know, are you going to be like, No. I'm above that. I don't need to do that. I'm not going to listen to your request for that. You know, you'd be surprised. A lot of spouses, they do that. Man, they don't listen to just to simple, you know, requests from their spouse to, to do them a favor or something. Man, listening to our spouse is evidence that we love them. Man, and helping and doing something for them. That's evidence that we love them. That, that's it. That's the evidence that we love them. And, and are we obeying? Man, you know, uh, there's something that I just can't handle about driving in a car with my wife, right? I think we all probably struggle with this. I'm confident we all do. You know, you're driving in the car and, 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 and your spouse is just like, oh, pull into that lane, get in the right lane, get in the left lane, speed up, slow down. You know, she's basically co-piloting, right? And she, she thinks she's driving, but she's not. <laughs> and it's like, can you please just let me drive, right? Now, I can get really angry, right? I can get really angry. I shouldn't get angry, right? But I can, I can listen to her. Because a lot of the things she says is right, right? Like a lot of times I forget to put my seatbelt on. And she'll be like, can you put your seatbelt on? 
And sometimes that can be really annoying and I can get angry or I can humble myself and I can listen to her. You know what? She's right. She's right. I love my wife. I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to put my seatbelt on, you know. Or if we're going down 611 where there's no divider, right? It's, it's double lane. There's two lanes going both ways. And it's dangerous to be in the left lane because there's no divider. Somebody in the right lane going in the opposite direction can just cross over really easily and boom, hit you head on. You know, she loves for me to be in the right lane, and I always forget that. And she'll always be like, can you get in the right lane? Get in the right lane. And I get really angry when she co-pilots. You know, she's telling me to do something. But you know what? If I humble myself and I just listen and just find the truth where she's right, and I just listen and, like, I obey her commands, it's the right thing to do. You know, it shows that I really do love her, that I'm listening to her that I'm listening to what she says. <laughs> I'm confident you all struggle with that. Don't look at me like you guys don't experience this. <laughs> Man, listening and obeying, listening and obeying God, it really cuts right through self-centeredness. It really cuts through self-centeredness. It requires humility. It requires submission to each other. Right? It's the same thing with God. It's the same thing in our relationships. And it's the same thing with God. It requires these things. In our culture, in our culture and our, our sinful self-centeredness doesn't want to be told what to do. Doesn't be, want to be told what to do. You know, when, when your spouse, you know, we're, maybe we're lost and we're trying to get somewhere in New Jersey. You can easily get lost in New Jersey. But if you're, if you're lost and your, your spouse is like, you know what, pull over at the gas station. I think it would be good if we just asked for directions. You know, more often than not, a husband's going to be like, no. No, I'm, I'm not doing that. We're going to figure this out. You know, we're doing that because we're stubborn. Our wife is probably explaining, she's suggesting the right thing to do. And we're not listening to her. But man, our culture and our sinful self-centeredness doesn't want to be told what to do or to listen to somebody else. Right? Let alone God. You know, Jesus has commands in his word. And we have a tough time with listening to, to his commands and to his word. Man, if we really love God, we will listen to his commands. Man, and we will obey his commands. If we really love somebody with the committed self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, we'll listen to them. Whether it's our spouse, we'll listen to them. A family friend, whatever it is, a co-worker, we'll listen to them. If we don't obey Jesus' commands, then the truth of the gospel, the scripture says, is not in us. It's not in us. The truth of God's grace is not in us. If the truth of the gospel and God's grace is not in us, then we can't abide in him. And we can't walk in the way that Jesus walked. We can't do it. This is precisely what the love of God does. Man, it causes us to things. It causes us to things. It affects us to listen and obey. I'm going to use an SAT word right now. My wife loves vocabulary. She loves vocabulary. Somebody else loves vocabulary. I'm about to use an SAT word, and I didn't even know this word existed until I was preparing this sermon. But I'm going to use this SAT word. God is efficacious. Right? That's a good one. God is efficacious, man. He is effective. He is effective. He affects us. Right? His love, his character has an effect on us. You can't brush shoulders with God 
and not be affected by him, right? When one comes to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, there is a change. There is a change in this area in our life, and it's our relationship with sin. There is a change in our relationship with sin. Sin is never eliminated completely in us until we're in heaven. Sin is never eliminated completely in us until we're in heaven. But the key, the key here is that our relationship to sin changes. It changes. We no longer love sin as we once did. Man, if we know God, if his love is being perfected in us, if we love him, man, we no longer love sin as we once did. We don't brag about our sin as we once did. We no longer plan to sin as we once did. Man, we no longer fondly remember our sin as we once did. We never enjoy sin as we once did. We're no longer comfortable in habitual sin as we once were. Man, brushing shoulders with God and his love has a huge impact on our lives. It doesn't mean that we're, not, that we're going to be sinless. It doesn't mean we're going to be sinless, right? John said in the scripture before this scripture, remember what he said, don't sin, but if you do, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who died for the propitiation of your sins. He died as a propitiation of your sins. But man, if you want to know if you have intimacy with God and that you love God, well, here's the evidence. You'll listen to him and you'll keep his commands. But then the other side of the coin is we're not going to be perfect and we're not going to be sinless in this life. But what it means is we're moving on a trajectory. We're moving on a trajectory of increasing obedience. John says in verse 5, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Perfected means just brought to maturity. It means brought to maturity. The perfection and the maturity of God's love leads to obedience. It leads to keeping his commands. If we don't see this trajectory of obedience in our lives, if we don't see this trajectory, the love of God is not being perfected in us. It's not being perfected in us. So this test of obedience is not the condition of knowing Christ. Right? We learned in the text earlier, that's the condition of knowing Christ. All that Jesus did for us through his blood, through his sacrifice. But what we're seeing here is this is the characteristic of knowing Christ. This is the evidence. This is the mark of knowing, Christ, of knowing God, of intimacy with God. And that's listening to him and keeping his commands. Our faith is grounded in his work. It's grounded in the cross. And our obedience is mere evidence. It's fruit that we know him. It's fruit of this intimacy with God. How do we apply this to our life? Man, this is the key part. It always is for me. Okay, I got all this information. How do we apply this to our life? I wanted to just go find a command of Jesus, right? We'll find a command of Jesus and we'll just use that command and just apply it to our life, right? So let's do that. Peter, in his first letter in the scripture, 
there's a lot of commands in Scripture from Jesus. There's a lot of commands in Scripture. As an example, Peter, he passes along one of Jesus' commands in his, letter, in his first letter to the church. In the Scripture, it says this. It's on the screen. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. The context of Peter's passing of Jesus' teaching was to the church, was to a church that was, being, that was suffering persecution. But that doesn't mean this can't be applied to us today. That doesn't mean this can't be applied to us today. This can be applied to our marriages, to our work, to, to our friendships, to our family. That word reviling... That word reviling, it means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. That's what that means. We can only obey this command when the playing field is even. Because what that scripture is connecting to, man, we, need, we should love our enemies. We should love our enemies. We can only obey this command when the playing field is even. Only the gospel can even the playing field. Only the gospel can even the playing field. And what that means is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, it informs us that nobody is morally superior than another. Nobody. Nobody is morally superior than another. We all fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. When we truly recognize this, when we truly recognize this, the gospel, it humbles us. Man, it softens us. It softens our hearts. It pushes us out of self-righteousness. It pushes us out of moral superiority. It pushes us out of those boundaries. When we find ourselves increasingly obeying this commands, not, re not reviling in return for reviling, not returning evil from evil. When we find ourselves increasingly obeying this command, we know the love of God is being perfected in us. We know the love of God is being perfected in us. This should cause us to reflect and ask ourselves, man, is there anybody I'm repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling? Even in thought, maybe not in action, but even in thought. Man, it could be our own spouse. I know how hard marriage is. I'm married. Sometimes, you know, it, you really get under each other's skin. And, you know, there might be an insult for an insult, right? There might be those things. There might be a little bit of reviling in there with your spouse. A criticism, criticizing maybe in an abusive way. I know we experience that sometimes. It could be a coworker. It could be a coworker in our lives, a family member that's just extremely difficult to deal with. You know? I know we all got them. We all got family members that are extremely difficult to deal with. Jesus' commands run the gamut of our practical lives. When you go throughout his commands, man, they run the gamut of our lives from relationships to giving to financial stewardship to serving to reconciliation to forgiveness. He's got commands about sexuality, man, how we treat others. There's a lot of commands. 
But the commonality in all of them is that they push our boundaries and push us out of self-centeredness and into others-centeredness and God-centeredness. Jesus' commands are intrusive. <laughs> Man, they are. Jesus' commands are intrusive on our self-centeredness and our self-righteousness, but it's for good reason. It's for good reason. And when we find ourselves increasingly aligning with his commands, increasingly aligning with his commands, and some are harder than others, everybody's different, the things I struggle with, you might not struggle with, you might be struggling with something that I don't struggle with. When we find ourselves increasingly aligning with his commands, we know the love of God is being perfected in us. We know that we know him when we have that trajectory and we are keeping his commands. We know that we are growing in intimacy with God. And in terms of evidence, in terms of evidence, the evidence of intimacy, the difference between intimacy with God and distance from God, man, it's not our feelings. Feelings fluctuate, it's up and down. It's obedience. And it's keeping his commands. Are we listening to him? Are we listening to God and are we doing what he's telling us to do? Are we walking in the ways of Jesus? Man, to know those things, we got to be in his word. How can we know his commands if we're not in his word? Man, we got to be in his word and seeing, man, Jesus, what are your commands? What does it look like to walk as you walked? Man, we got we to put some work in to, to find out, to learn those things. And then whatever we see, we go do. We go listen and we keep those commands.